shows are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Welcome to the Adventures in Tech Podcast. Talking the latest tips and trends in educational technology to innovate and engage your students. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Dan. Welcome to episode 32 of the Adventures in Tech Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Andrew. And I'm Dan. And we are super excited that you're joining us on this journey. And we have a such a special interview today that... Dan, we're going to have to forego, and I know you, I, I kind of poo-pooed your idea. Uh, you do have a lot of ideas you want to talk about, but this... Oh, that's fine. Oh, look nope. at that. See that, folks? It's fine. It's, it's fine, Dan says, so it's, we're good. It's, it's fine. It's fine. So <laughs> we have a very exciting, enlightening interview. We had the opportunity I, I to would meet add, this individual. I would add sobering. Yeah, that's true. That's that's. Very, very true. Very true. Uh, for what we're, you know, what we're going to talk about, and the relevance of it all is important because it's the time of the year. Actually, it doesn't even matter if it's the time of nope. the year with the holidays, but it's just important year round. It's it's life altering in in a sense of just opening your eyes to things that you would have never ever thought of. Right, Dan? There was a lot of aha moments, is the way I could put it. Agreed. All right, so our guest that we're going to be interviewing is uh, John Yanarelli. We had the opportunity to talk with John. He is a former FBI agent, and if you need to find him, you can find him online at fbijohn.com. Uh, you can email him. He's always receptive to emails. It's john at fbijohn.com. And on Twitter, where he offers those tips one a day, it's at fbijohn, so be sure to give him a, a follow. All right, well, we are super excited to have our next guest here. Dan and I actually had the opportunity to to hear him speak at the NiceGate Annual Conference, and we're going to recap and talk about that. But I just love the the Twitter handle, the emails. I said, if anybody ever looks at my emails, Dan, they're going to be like, um, Andrew, what are you doing? Because everything just comes up as FBI, and I feel like I'll be judged. But we have FBI John with us today, and John, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. So FBI John, you know, you're a speaker, you're an author, you're a consultant, and, and obviously people are like, well, why is he called FBI John? So he's basically, John is a former FBI special agent, expert on all kinds of things, including cybersecurity, law enforcement, active shooter drills, identity theft, you know, there was a lot going on that we talked about in the conference, but, you know, you had 20 years, uh, more than 20 years of service in the FBI, and uh, I can only imagine how expansive your career was and how many things that you saw on a day-to-day basis with everything like that. Can you just elaborate a little bit about, you know, your your career, the law enforcement career, what else you're doing? Can you tell the folks about yourself, John? Absolutely. So I'll tell you, I started off years ago as a police officer, and I wanted to become an FBI agent. Back then, you had to be an attorney or an accountant. So not being great with numbers back in school, I decided to go to uh, law school, got my law degree working uh, nights, and uh, practiced law for about a half a second before I was able to get into the FBI. Spent 21 great years in the FBI in a variety of roles. I worked everything from bank robberies and kidnappings, international terrorism. I was a spokesperson for the FBI overall, uh, working out of Washington, D.C. headquarters. And spent a lot of my time in the cyber field, both as an executive for the FBI, but also as an agent working these cyber cases. And that predominates everything we're seeing today in the world. Cyber is touching everything, and cyber crime is touching everything else. So it's a big deal these days, and it's something we're going to continue to see in the future everywhere, including education. 
Right. So we had the opportunity to meet you up at the NiceGate uh, annual conference in Rochester, New York, and your keynote was great because it really touched upon how to keep yourself safe, uh, you know, in the cybersecurity, in the education field for not only like educators like myself and Dan, uh, administrators, but also the students. So, you know, can you elaborate a little bit about that? Just give a recap of your your keynote uh, regarding cybersecurity. Happy to. I'll tell you. The aspects of cyber and cybercrime and how it affects educators, institutions, and students is continuing to evolve and become more so. We've had schools this past year that have literally been forced to close because they were hacked. Not only could they not get into computer systems for teaching plans, students accessing the equipment they use online, but also literally shutting down the power grid that prevented the school from having lights and heating. Think about that. If your school's closed for a week because of snow, you plan for those days. But what happens when you have a cyber blackout for a week? You extend the school year. How do you make up that time? And this has a real impact on both the students and the teachers. Oh, absolutely. Uh, John, this is Dan here, and thanks again for taking the time to speak with us. You know, I really gained a lot from your keynote at NiceGate. In fact, uh, just yesterday, I was like, oh, there's a nice phishing email that I just got from yeah. uh, someplace asking me to um, to actually validate my payroll information, and I saw right away the email was wrong. So you bring a lot of, you brought a lot of these things to our attention. So you are a cybersecurity expert. Like, what are kind of specific threats that we do face? Great question. So first of all, telling your audience, uh, you want to be aware of your identity. And are you doing any sort of identity monitoring? Identity theft is rampant, and it continues to grow. One in four people in this country have been a victim of identity theft. And I always say there's two types of people out there, those who have been victims of identity theft and those who don't know that they've been victims of identity theft. I would seriously look at the different services to monitor your identity because you don't have the time to scan every single credit card. Right. And besides, when you do see an expense that wasn't yours, well, it's too late. That means the money's already been taken and you got to argue and prove it wasn't you. Not to mention, I can steal your identity and do much more than just compromise a credit card. Maybe I'm going to take a home equity loan against your property. You're not even going to know about it until you get notifications from a bank saying you haven't paid the money back. Meanwhile, that money is long gone. You risk losing your home. Finally, I would add that you got to think about the kids, the students, and your own children. I steal your identity. You're going to find out pretty quickly because you're probably monitoring or you're going to get a notification. But cyber criminals know if they steal the identity of children, Chances are those kids aren't even going to find out until they're of age and headed off to college. One example I talked about, I had a young lady in Arizona, showed up at Arizona State University for her freshman classes, only to find out she had not only a million and a half in debt oh, run up oh. on her name, but she also had a, she had a criminal record from people using her information and creating false IDs when they were contacted by the police. You know, you pay for fire insurance on your house, but when's the last time your house burned down? Your credit is on fire right now. There are cyber criminals out there trying to compromise. 
think about doing some monitoring to keep yourself safe. You know, John, when we talk about monitoring, are there specific companies? You know, obviously we want trustworthy companies to monitor our credit, to monitor identities, and you get all those sponsored ads and everything like that. But, you know, with your vast experience of of knowing and vetting these companies and just your your pure knowledge about them, what are some that you would be like, you know what, this is worth the $9.99, whatever the price is, for monitoring for not only, you know, I'm, I'm talking on a personal level here for, you know, for Dan, myself, our families, and, and everybody who are listeners, but also, like, I have three kids, you know, Dan's got a child as well, and they're young, and that Arizona story just freaked me out, right? So how do we also monitor the kids' accounts without giving up too much information to these, uh, these, these companies that are monitoring them? So there's a variety of companies out there, and I will tell you, some charge way more than you need to pay. Also, you'll see these commercials for credit monitoring where people will put their social security number on the side of a truck out in the public streets showing how confident they are. What they don't talk about is, as a result, how many times they've been compromised. But, you know, when you're running a multi-million dollar company, you can deal with that. So. I would play it safe with some of the tried and true businesses that fly under the radar. I can list the companies for you, but what I would suggest is I invite your audience to contact me and I will send an email with the list of companies and contact information. And I'm an easy guy to find. It's John at FBIJohn.com. That's great. Yeah. And we'll make sure we, you know, we'll have them email you. We'll, we'll send you an email as well. So we can link that to the show notes. uh, So they can definitely have that information at their fingertips as well. So, Um, and I'm glad that you brought up the idea of students and really protecting our students. We have something here in New York called EdLaw 2D that any software or any program that we work with, that company has to sign off on an agreement that protects uh, student information and often we run into struggles with different educators who find the, the fancy new thing on the web for instruction. And, you know, kids are going in and signing in with their accounts on a single sign-on. Yep. And I think that makes it even more relevant to, to our teachers that are listening that we really need to take that extra step to protect that student, private, uh, student individual information. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I realize there is a learning curve for some people in not necessarily the technology, but understanding the hoops you have to jump through. It's a hassle to have all different passwords for everything and have to go through the sign-on as opposed to a single sign-on. But part of it is the education process and understanding what's happening out there. I don't think anybody in your school, your community, would leave for work or school in the morning and not lock the door to their house. Right. We know the dangers that are out there. They're going to lock their car when they show up at the office or in the school so that nobody steals the car. Well, it's the same thing in the cyber world. You have to think of the cyber as your car, your home, your bank account. It's everything. And you always got to lock it. The problem is there's a bunch of different doors to enter, and they all have a different key, a different password. They've got to understand this is why we do this. Otherwise, you risk having somebody drive off with your computer, your financial history, and everything else. You know, you mentioned that, John. So is there a good, I mean, we all know like in, let's say, Google Chrome, for example, and and we are a Google Workspace district, and everything always offers to save your password, right, online. But is that a safe 
password manager using it directly into, let's say, the browser itself, whether it be Google or uh, Mozilla, whichever? Or should you have a third-party password manager for these uh, encrypted things with your credit cards and with your banks and even your emails? Let's be honest. Anything, you know, because that single sign-on makes it easy. Everybody just clicks it, whether you're logging in through a social media platform or your email. But what is the best avenue to protect yourself so you do not become compromised. So I am a big fan of using a password keeper. Usually when you look at a password keeper, which is a service you pay for, generally they run about a dollar a month. They're not expensive because they're dealing in such high volume. In the password keeper, you only have to remember one password and that's the password to the password keeper. Right. You type in that password, It'll bring up the list of everything you do, whether it's Facebook, software programs, anything else. It automatically, you click on it, it'll enter the URL to where you want to go, and it loads your username and a pre-saved password. The beauty of the password keeper, number one, it's all encrypted. So even if somebody hacks it, they're not going to be able to compromise any of your information. And number two, you don't have to think of 50 different passwords. The password keeper will generate complex passwords that are not possible to hack because of the complexity and store those automatically. You don't need to remember them. You just got to remember that password to the password keeper. Doing that will keep you very safe. And let me add one other thing. Use two-factor authentication mm -hmm. when you can. So, for example, I'm doing banking. Somebody steals my password. If I don't have the two-factor authentication, they can get in. But with two-factor authentication, you can steal my password all day long. But unless you have that token code that changes every 60 seconds, there's no way they can continue the process to access. My advice is for banking, if your bank doesn't have two-factor authentication, get a different bank. Right. That is what's going to keep your money safe. And let's face it, that's what this is all about. It's not just for information. It's your entire life savings. It's your 401k. It's your retirement plan. You want to have all that protected. You know, speaking of that with the two-factor authentication, John, is do you see the majority? I mean, banking, I understand, uh, but the majority of the, the companies that people are utilizing now, are they all shifting towards that and making that a requirement? Because obviously it sounds like it's of the utmost importance. It is important, and we're seeing that shift quite a bit. For example, in the FBI, when I wanted to log into my official government email, I had to use two-factor authentication. It keeps any rogue nation state out there from compromising FBI email and getting at sensitive information. Well, while we're dealing with national crisis issues, let's face it, everything you're doing is sensitive in your world as well, whether it's a student identity your lesson plans that you've created to carry you through the next year or anything else in between. And of course, that financial information. Highly recommend two-factor. John, something that resonated with me from uh, your your keynote was, and, and I want you to explain it because you obviously could explain it better than either Dan or myself could, is how important it is to 
pretty much, and, and we all know there's specials on Amazon now, so get one now to have your own portable battery charger instead of utilizing stuff that is a public charge port uh, on you know at, at airports or those screens on the planes and so forth. Can you just elaborate on that story that you, you shared with us? Sure can. So people may not have heard the term juice jacking. In the cyber world, it's readily uh, noticeable. We see it all the time. Juice jacking is essentially you've got a cell phone, a iPad, all these devices that we're constantly using. And if you're like me, they're constantly low on power. What will happen is you're finding that whether you're in an airport, a hotel, a restaurant, more and more they have these stations where you can just plug in and get a quick charge. The problem is those stations are not just power outlets. They are little mini computers. And I can just as easily plug in for a charge or I can plug in and download malware onto those devices. We're finding these devices are filled with malware from cyber criminals taking advantage. They download the malware. Now everybody who plugs in for a charge is uploading that malware to their computers, their phones, their iPads. I can now take over your information. It's spyware and it's going to send emails to me connecting me with everything you have on your computer, your banking, your personal information, your contact list, etc. Bottom line is never plug into any of those free services. You want to either make sure you have a charge or carry a spare battery with you. They're pretty cheap. They're right. small and light. You can get them on Amazon. Likewise, if you don't want to do that, they make a little an adapter. It's called a data blocker for like two bucks. You can buy one of those, and it fits over the top of your USB. It lets power flow through, but it doesn't let the transfer of information. So you want to keep yourself safe in this digital world where we always need power. You want to make sure you're not giving up information in the process. That that data blocker, John, that just I, – I need to click on Amazon as soon as possible <laughs> to buy one of those. Not that I want to plug in after your, your keynote. I don't want to plug in anymore nope. to any of those things. I'm going to carry an old my own portable battery charger, but you can never be too safe. So an extra layer of security with a data blocker, and we'll find a link and, and definitely post it in the show notes uh, as well. Yeah, I, that just – I mean, I took that to heart. I made sure I traveled last weekend staying in a hotel, and I'm like, nope, I'm taking my own plug and making sure I'm plugging directly in yeah. and not, not going through there. Um, but it was very interesting. I know you said something from NiceGate. I think we all you know, sometimes feel like we have this false sense of security um, when we're going around. And, I, and I'm and i trying to remember, I think you brought up uh, an interesting number about how long it would take for a computer to get, comp- a brand new computer to get compromised. Right. And I, I'm trying to remember what it was. I think you said about five minutes. Yeah, generally that's it. You know, you go to the Apple store this holiday season, you get a brand new laptop or iPad, take it out of the box, you plug it in to charge it and you turn it on. In about five minutes, the cyber criminals are going to be in that device. And that's because you've got to have all the protection in place first. You got to make sure that you've installed the antivirus software and that you have all the filtering systems that you're using a good passcode, et cetera, to prevent somebody from getting at it. You know, cyber criminals are not sitting around and hunting and pecking on the keyboard trying to come up with a passcode to get into your system. There's computer programs they use that will fly through tens of thousands of password combinations in a minute. 
And so that's what they're constantly looking for to be able to access your system. You've spent a lot of money on devices. Make sure you're taking the time to have the protections in place before you turn that sucker on. Mm -hmm. So important. I mean, it is. It really is. So we know, John, that you are a professional speaker. You present throughout the world. Your list of accomplishments and where you've been on cable TV and interviews and obviously your your expertise in in terrorism and, and mass shooting awareness and everything you've done in the FBI – Besides cybersecurity, what else do you really focus on in your in your speakings and your engagements? You know, sadly, because of the way the world is, I spend a lot of time on active shooter matters. And what I do is I go in and I talk to educators and staff about the things to be aware of, the warning signs and how you would react to that to get somebody help before something happens. And then if something were to happen, what you do immediately and what you do in the aftermath. I have responded to two school shootings in person when I was a police officer and an FBI agent. I was on scene when Congresswoman Giffords was shot in Tucson, Arizona. And then I had flown to Las Vegas to give a presentation and arrived at Mandalay Bay an Mm. hour before the shooting began. So for that, I wanted to... I wound up covering that for three days for the national news on NBC, CNN, etc. And so I have a lot of experience, not only from the law enforcement side, but I've physically been there when these things have happened. And I share that with the adult audience so that they can keep their kids, their students, their families safe. You know, it's sad and really hits the heartstrings at home here is it's almost 10 years for us for Sandy Hook Elementary School in, in Connecticut. It's not too far from where we're located and coming up on the 10 year anniversary. It's hard to believe that it's been 10 years. It's still what you just said. It just it resonates and it really hits home on on how we can make sure that everybody in, in the entire community is safe because you just don't know anymore. You know, and, and I want to point out the fact that especially when we look at some of these shootings like Sandy Hook and other schools, who the uh, the heroes in this are. So I have seen amazing actions from teachers. There were mm-hmm. Sandy Hook, there were teachers that sacrificed themselves to keep their students safe. We had 27 tragic deaths. But think about how many people survived because of the brave teachers out there that did what they had to do to protect their charge. We also see students step up who have had the training and know what to do. I had a situation in Michigan where the shooter actually was knocking on the classroom door, pretending to be law enforcement to gain entry. The students know, no, we're not falling for anything. We know the procedures. We know we have to wait till we get a call from 911 that confirms we can go back out of the classroom. They didn't open the door and they kept themselves safe. So hats off to the people in the education world who have done what they need to do to protect those they care about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, John. Um, So to pivot a little bit, you've also written five books. Um, Can you tell us about your books and your most recent book that's out? Sure. Obviously, I have a lot of free time. uh, (laughs) Yes, I've written five books. (laughs) So uh, I've got a number of books out there. I'll tell you, my most recent is called Disorderly Conduct, and it's funny stories from the FBI. We've talked about some serious things today, but you can't live in law enforcement without seeing the oddities of life that happen and the different stupid things, frankly, criminals will do. (laughs) I've captured all that from just my experience. And uh, it's a great read, great holiday gift. I recommend that uh, people pick up a copy of it. But in addition to disorderly conduct, I have some serious books out there too. Uh, One of my books is WTF, 
which stands for Why Teens Fail and What to Fix. Co-authored with some educators, we take on the issues that kids are facing, bullying, uh, cyber issues online, different things in the classroom, etc. And we give advice to the parents, the teachers, and also applicable to the students, what they can do to make their life a little more manageable. We know how hard it is being a kid today. The goal of this book is to try to eliminate some of those stressors. Uh, John, are all the books available on Amazon uh, or uh, retailers, you know, all over the web? You tell us, where, where can they find these books? All my books are available anywhere books are sold. I, you can go directly to my website and save on the fees. Uh, my website is fbijohn.com, but you can also go to Amazon and find any of them or your local bookstore. Awesome. Awesome. So I know you talked about disorderly conduct, your most recent book, and, you know, how it's 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 making fun of what some criminals you'd be shocked that they do. Right. So any particular stories that you would like to share, whether it's in the book or not, just, you know, from your vast career? Well, let me tell you a quick story about uh, a guy who was trying to pass a bad check. And what happened was I was in a bank one day. The bank had been robbed a few days earlier. And after responding to the bank robbery and interviewing people, a couple of days later, I go back to go over the statements with the victim tellers and the manager to make sure everything was right. I'm sitting in the manager's office when the assistant manager comes in and says, hey, there's a guy at the counter trying to pass a bad check. Now, this is not an FBI crime. It's a local crime. But nevertheless, I'm a law enforcement officer. I'll go detain the guy until the police arrive. So I go out there, go up to the guy, and quickly ascertain, yeah, he's trying to pass a bad check. I pull him aside and handcuff him and hold him for the police. Now, how did I find out he was trying to pass a bad check? This guy was going around and stealing mail from mailboxes <laughs> that in front of people's homes. Unreal. You know how people put mail in the mailbox and they'll put the little flag up, letting the postman know that it's, there's mail? Yep. Don't ever do that. That's like raising your hand and saying, rob me. Really? Uh, because criminals will steal the mail. Oh, absolutely. You never want to do that. Also, by the way, just as an aside, you never want to put letters in a mailbox in front of the post office because that's the criminals know there's going to be mail there and they have ways of fishing and out and stealing it. Oh, my goodness. Got to go inside the post office and drop that's your letters. That's insane. I would never anyway, think getting of back that. To my, <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. Yes. So, anyway, this guy goes around, steals mail, finds an envelope that clearly is going to have a check. It's made out to a utility company, opens up the envelope, and using acetone, which you can get from a beauty supply place, sort of like nail polish remover, you can take the ink off of paper without ripping the paper. He takes off who the check's made out to, and he rewrites it to himself. And then all he has to do is take that check from whatever bank it's drawn from and go to a branch. He doesn't have to go to the exact same branch, just any branch, because they will honor their own check. He goes into a random branch, gets online, gets called up to a random teller and presents the check. She looks at the check. It was her check. Oh, <laughs> no. From her house. Oh, my goodness. No way. <laughs> so th th this is clearly, there's a message here that God wants somebody to go to prison because <laughs> he happened, there was an FBI agent in the back. So this guy is in the wrong profession because he has incredibly bad luck. I, on the other hand, stopped and bought a lottery ticket on the way home. Thinking, <laughs> this is my lucky day. So 
Stories like this. I I had a guy who decided to rob the Seacoast Bank in San Diego, and uh, which isn't particularly interesting in of itself. But uh, he decided he was going to make a foot getaway in this. He didn't have a car. What uh, makes it unusual, however, is he had a peg leg. So uh, he uh, he had an amputee with literally like a pirate's peg leg robbing the Seacoast Bank. And uh, so when I show up with some other agents, we can actually hear the clicking noise in the distance as, as he's trying to make his getaway. So we were able to track him down and take him into custody based on the sound alone. So it's things like this you run into the criminal world that you can't see anywhere else. Uh, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> clearly. Yes. I'm, but I am shocked with the two things with the mail. So, I mean, I guess my question would be is I know you said don't ever put the flag up, right? That's number one, which I can understand that because there are these – individuals who are just literally looking for that as the symbol that there's mail in that mailbox. But I don't know, is there a protocol for the United States post office and postal service to check every mailbox or they're just going to open it, put your mail in uh, and then they'll be like, Oh, there's a letter in here. If you're not identifying that something needs to go out. Generally the flag up is the symbol that it's something to leave. Otherwise, how are they to know somebody didn't just drop something in their mailbox to deliver to you? Mm. So, and that's why, but again, it's like raising your hand and saying, come rob me. It's right. not a safe way of doing business. I, you see offices that will have little baskets in the front where they put their outgoing mail for the postal worker to uh, pick up. I've had cases involving uh, people coming in and grabbing mail out of there discreetly and just walking out the door. Wow. So it, you gotta be careful. Fortunately, we're transitioning now where very little money is sent through the mail. Mm -hmm. Everything's done online. But yeah. that brings us full circle full back, circle to, the back to the cyber criminal. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I will tell you guys, uh, if your listeners are on social media, follow me on Twitter. I'm at FBI John. Every day I put out a tip on how to keep yourself safe, both in the real world and the physical world. I talk about these things. So if you want to learn how to avoid being a victim, it's a great way. Twitter at FBI John. That's great. That's great. I, um, thanks for um, sharing those stories. I know um, I can't wait to get my hands on that book, and I know I can put that onto uh, a lot of people's Christmas list that would yeah. really enjoy that. Definitely. John, I have a, a, another question. As you know, uh, I, I just know your bio, and, and you know, obviously you know, in our pre-show meeting and so forth is, so I know you were, you know, pretty much uh, in charge of the FBI's Phoenix division, but you also, the best part was you went to the Super Bowl. How many Super Bowls were you in, you know, like in or are part of for the security? So I have had great experience with the Super Bowl. Uh, I will tell you, after I retired from the FBI, I was a consultant with the NFL for a few years as well. So between my FBI and NFL days, I have been to 11 Super Bowls. Wow. And uh, more games than I can possibly count and a great experience as well because it's enabled me to generally when I'm there if you turn on the game on TV you see the guy in a suit on the sideline that's somebody like me so I've been able to watch the Super Bowl from standing on the sidelines of the field and uh, which has been fantastic experience is there one Super Bowl right because obviously you've been to like you said tons and tons of games but is there one Super Bowl that mm, kind of like sticks out that you've been to compared to the rest Easy answer. So in Atlanta, I was assigned to the Patriots bench. 
during the game, and that was the game where the Patriots were losing by, what was it, 28 points at halftime. And being able to stand there, great admiration for what I saw because they never looked at for a moment like they were deflated. Uh, The other team was doing a little bit of celebrating, walking in at halftime. And they were laser-focused. And, of course, they come back tied the game. First Super Bowl to ever go into overtime. Yep. And they wind mm-hmm. up, the Patriots win the game. Wow, yeah, that would be a great game. That would be a great game to, to actually be able to witness uh, from the sideline and actually seeing how the how the, how the the fans enjoyed it and everything like that. So, um, all right, so we're going to start to wrap up. John, any closing thoughts for the audience? We know you got your Twitter safety tips, other ways to stay safe, uh, you know, for people, especially around the holiday season. You've given us a vast ma- amount of information today on how people can protect their identities, uh, how our students, you know, can stay safe as well in, in regards to cybersecurity. But any final thoughts, uh, you know, for, for the audience? Sure, especially around the holidays or anytime you're doing any sort of shopping, just be aware there are criminals out there looking to take advantage You know, if you're walking out to your car and you're putting things in the trunk of your car and then going back in the store, criminals are going to see that. I see women make this mistake frequently that they'll lock their purse in the trunk of the car and walk away. There are people watching. If you're going to do something like that, you got to do it before you arrive at your final destination and park your car. Likewise, as you're buying gift cards during this holiday season, there's ways of taking gift cards off the rack and revealing the number, the code number you need, and then concealing it and putting those cards back on the rack. You want to make sure you look at the card to see if it looks like it's been tampered with in any way. Because when you buy that gift card and add money to it, if it's been tampered with, the cyber criminal is going to take all that money before you get a chance to spend it. Wow. Wow. Well, John, we can't thank you enough, uh, you know, for the Adventures in Tech podcast audience. We love that. Obviously, we know we, they can email you, John, at FBIJohn.com. Uh, that's the webpage as well, FBIJohn.com. And follow you on Facebook, uh, Facebook Twitter, I'm sorry, uh, every, you know, for the daily tip. Uh, it's just at FBIJohn. So, John, thank you so much. We greatly appreciate your time. Thank you, John. Hey, guys, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing to help keep people educated and uh Best to everyone out there. Wow, Dan, enlightening with John there. Very enlightening. I know a few things that I'm going to start doing right away. Yeah, yeah. Great stories, you know, and and things that obviously you just can't make up, really. Like, I couldn't even create that if I had the most creative mind, period, with some of those stories that he was sharing. So we'll put all his information in the show notes. Hit up the sticker request if you need a sticker. Once again, thank you for all your support and listening on all the platforms, leaving us those reviews. Follow John uh, on Twitter at FBI John. Questions, comments, suggestions, reach out. Tech hard, work smart, live an adventure. Find Andrew on all socials at A Nicola Tech and Dan at WCSD Tech DR.